Fast Forward Productions, the women are speaking. And in committing to practice, though, there's a shift. The shift of thinking every job is going to change your life right. is no longer there because now you actually are thinking about, oh, I really want to make this 1% better. And like Taylor, it's a basket. It's, you make a basket basketball. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I realized I didn't want life to be tomorrow. I wanted life to be right now, you know, because tomorrow my kids are a day older and they're like, you know, they're going off to the next level of school. The casting process can often prove to be a mystery. The industry is complicated and decisions are nuanced with no clear path to understanding the how or the why. I'm Amanda Doyle, casting director and the director of casting relations at Castability. Never before has data science been applied to an artistic process like casting an actor. Castability provides objective data, tracking each unique casting decision, giving actors and casting professionals an ability to analyze their craft. In this podcast, we will dive deep into the exploration of the creative decision-making process and reveal all that we discover in our mission to make these creative decisions quantifiable. Welcome to Castability, the podcast hosted, hosted by, by the Castability, Castability team. Hey, everybody. I'm Amanda Doyle. I am a casting director and the director of casting relations at Castability. And hello, I'm Taylor Shirty. I am a working actor, and I am also the head of actor relations at Castability. Yeah, Castability is a really special, different piece of technology that has so much potential for actors. And I think it is so interesting, and it's been interesting to me from the beginning to be involved in something that is so different, but also gives actors the ability to kind of analyze where they are with objective data. I started at Castability almost a year ago, which was around the time that I discovered deliberate self-tape practice for myself, which was really life-changing artistically and career-wise. I just love the mission of Castability, and we wanted to start this podcast so that we could kind of talk about everything that we're uncovering data-wise, but we're just really obsessed and want to know everything about the creative decision-making process, what that's like for actors and casting, and talk to you guys about everything we learn along the way. Right. So Jay, Jay approached me to join the team, I don't know, what was that, like two years ago now or more, to just start, I started off as just kind of a consultant and like, here's what he had, like, you know, he presented to me what he had built so far. And it was so interesting because it was so different than anything I had seen. And I have been very involved in the development of the technology that we use as casting professionals as I've, you know, spanned my career just out of, you know, pure like having having to be involved with it to try to use it and, and kind of move us into a space where we're using technology to our advantage in the profession. And this is so different and so interesting in that it is so beneficial, in my opinion, for actors that I was so excited to see something that would really truly benefit actors in a way that nothing else has had the ability to do. And that is in providing objective data, right? Like it's so clear how subjective, you know, over the years our opinions are in regard to how quote unquote good an actor is or where they stand in their career. And 
and the subjectivity of our decision-making process. And it just gives nothing to, to actors. Like, you know, it's, it's so, there's so little information for them. So the ability to have something objective on paper, tangible that they can look at and assess and make a decision about, you know, how to move forward in their career was so incredible to me. And everyone I've pitched it to has been so excited about it because it's just so different. First of all, welcome to our pilot episode. We thought in this episode, it made the most sense to introduce the app to everyone who's listening and introduce everyone to Jay Boyer. We wanted to give everyone an opportunity to really understand what the app is, where it mm -hmm. came from, mm -hmm. and why. And so Jay is our first guest. Welcome to the show, Jay. Yay. Thank you for being here. Hey. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. Congratulations on your first podcast, Castability. <laughs> Well, thank uh, you. It's very exciting. I think this is going to be such a nice opportunity to help people understand this really new concept, right? I mean, I live like kind of two worlds in my life. You know, there's been my acting career and being an artist. And then I shifted over into startups and business. And I have a consulting firm outside of this that all deals with, you know, data analytics and, and the kind of stuff we're bringing here. Yet it's, so I live, I live with this stuff. And I live with what it means to how data can impact your life and how it can, because it's not the answer to everything. But this is going to be a really great chance. I know you'll have Lauren, our data scientist, coming up in a future episode. And almost everyone on our team, aside from Amanda, who's our casting director, everyone else is an actor, which is great. But Lauren's also a data scientist with a master's in data science. So it's like she's going to help explain this stuff even better than I can, even though I live with it. But I think it's needed, like, because, you know, there's when you hear how can you do quantitative analysis on an artistic endeavor, that seems almost offensive. And some people are you know taken aback by it. But that's really not what we're doing. We're, we're putting a measure onto the things that are actually happening every day in your career, in casting, when you're doing auditions and things like that. And putting it back in the actor's hands. Right. You know, it's transparency. It's a transparency that is actually always happening. When you go into an audition, you just go in, you walk out, and you're, you're told something qualitative usually, maybe not. Usually a thank you, great job, or maybe a little <laughs> yeah. adjustment. But I, I think that can be really misleading too. Even if you've gotten a good piece of feedback, you might, I mean, at least I know in my acting days, like I would dwell on that. Like, oh, they wanted me to hit that line a little more. And that's why I didn't get called back. And I'm dwelling on it. And it might, odds are, in fact, that had nothing to do with that. And, and yet I might go to my acting class and be like, okay, I, I missed hitting that line in that audition. So what can I do in my next scene that will keep me from missing that the next time? And you're working off of bad information, terrible information. And so what we're trying to do is measure little tiny decisions in the casting process and basically our like acting audition simulator. Because uh, I think Amanda's the one you came up with that. Like, this is what this is. Because we're always trying to figure out what this is for people and have, you make it easy to explain, right? And it's really just a, like a flight simulator is for, for pilots and how it dramatically changed the safety of flying when they created flight simulators that allowed pilots to like practice flying in 
situations that you wouldn't put yourself into in a plane. You don't want to test out your changes in the audition room. You want to go in there and be free, have a great time, like come to life in that audition room. But with, you know, castability, you can play around. You can try, hey, does this get more of a reaction? Does the needle move here when I do this or does it not move? You know, and, you know, so, you know, one of the things I think about with this is that it's not going to be the answer for everything. We're not trying, you know, we in all truth, we're not creating more jobs. There's not more acting jobs by castability. The world's still out there the same, but we just wanted to give you like some information about where you're, where you stand in it how people, what their impression are of you and how you can maybe make those changes target better, be more efficient in your work. So I've heard you talk about when you were an actor and I was curious about when the decision to start Casper, I know it kind of morphed into what it is now, but what you were missing from those days when you were an actor and what you wish you had and how that informed you starting Casper. Yeah. And I, you know, this could be a a sad story of some level, but there's, I think there's a happy ending to it. But I came out out of grad school from acting and I had every opportunity handed to me. I had so many auditions. Like I had great representation and all these dream roles that I was auditioning for. I got a really good look from the industry. They gave me a fair shake and I was terrible in the audition room. I was just, and I, I know for me, and it may be different for other people, what, what, what they struggle with, but for me, it's that I wanted that job so bad. Every single time was like, this is it. It's going to change my life. Everything's going to be different after today. Boy, did that come across in the room. So like, I was just like the energy of like, you know, choose me. And it took me like a decade to start to wipe some of that, that away. And then I sort of slipped away from it. I, you know, here's the thing, You've, we've got a really successful casting director here doing the podcast and we have a, a successful actress who's on set all the time. It's like every other day, uh, Taylor's on set doing some other work. My story might be <laughs> useful in another way is that, you know, I stepped away. I, yeah. I started building my family. I got into startups. I got into the business side of things and I love it. I absolutely love it. While I love acting, I remember when I was in grad school, I was 21 and making the decision, no matter what happens for the rest of my life, like at my core, I'm an actor. Like I knew, like that's who I am. And I love that yeah. part. It is an art. And I love that part. Yeah. But I can tell you that there's, there is life outside of it. And it's wonderful. And I'm incredibly fulfilled. You know, getting to this was when, I'll give you the short version because I could talk about it forever. But there was a friend of mine who was a successful startup guy. And I had finished a pretty good startup with my sister. and helped her in a company called Paletta here in Los Angeles. And it was really fun. It could kind of, that's where I got my bug on the success of business. And I wanted to start my own. And there's some really funny stories about my failures in startups as well. And so we were talking it through and he's like, well, why don't you do something in a field that you know, like really know deeply and profoundly? And I was like, well, of course that's acting. And then I went to this like most famous yeah. acting problem of all time, which is in a way a, a, a famous business problem. It's a, it, is that you need a great agent to get a great audition and you need great roles on your resume to get a great agent. So there's this catch-22. You're like, how am I supposed to work through right. that? I started exploring that. And then I realized like, it's really no one's fault. That was the thing that really struck me. It was like, you know, you're an actor. You think it's everyone else, everyone's fault that they aren't picking you or aren't choosing you. You're like, God, they're just missing the fact that I'm so talented. This system needs to be fixed to find me. I mean, that's how I felt. I don't know. It's maybe just really cocky at that time or something. But yeah. um, <laughs> I love that. Right? <laughs> But, yeah. <laughs> and I was a hard worker and I would do anything I could, but which is another thing about this that drove me crazy about the career is that there was just too much in between, you know, I'd get on a set and it would be like the 
greatest joy ever. And it's such a high. And yeah. then you step away for like months trying to get the next one. At least for me, it was months. And that was tough. And we don't know what right. to do in between. Yeah. So Self-tapes weren't even, we weren't able to visually see our progress like we can today. It's across the board, by the way. There are highs and lows, like ups and downs for sure in this industry. But what's really interesting to me, just sitting here listening to you, Jay, is that what it seems like you subconsciously designed was an opportunity to practice and to work out that anxiety that you were taking into the room about booking the job and making it kind of releasing you of like having that hovering over your energy when you went to go audition because an, an audition was so special. And so like you had the agent, you had the manager, like you had, you had the reps, you had the opportunity, but you just said, you know, what was happening was you were blowing it because your energy in the space was so desperate. And you've subconsciously designed something to allow actors to practice and to release themselves of that because they're doing it so much. It's so repetitive. And like, you're so used to, you know, if you look at this as an actor, as an opportunity to audition over and over and over and over again, without fear of being in a space that's, you know, going to give you those nerves and then you do get the opportunity, right. then maybe you can release yourself of that energy. And that's really interesting. Yeah. And all actors want in any, really in acquiring any skill is forward momentum to feel like you're progressing and that there's no way to feel that way when you get a booking once or twice a year, it's not giving you enough information. And I think something I, you know, completely identify with is this idea for so many years of my life, I was waiting to be told if I was good enough. It didn't even cross my mind that that didn't matter, that I could become good enough, that I could put in the work to be good enough. And I think what Castability, what's exciting is seeing community members really take their winnings, take their wins, take whatever score, even if it's just one metric, whatever improvement, and mark that down as a win so that their skill is increasing every single day. Then there's no stopping you if you feel like you're in forward momentum. And we absolutely all need positive reinforcement. And there's nothing designed in the industry to give any of us positive reinforcement or, you know, even constructive feedback, you know, real constructive feedback. So this is that for actors. And that's so incredible. Yeah. You know how like athletes are, they're always compare acting to athletes, right? And they're like, okay, you got to put your reps in. And I, I fully hear that, except sometimes I would get frustrated and go, well, if I was a basketball player, I knew, I would know if I made the goal or not. <laughs> like, I don't always know. And uh, Taylor, it's a basket. It's, you make a basket in basketball. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... No, Wait, so if I make the basket, yeah. I make the yeah, basket. Yeah, you're not a goal. It's no, not a that's goal? hockey Sports or balls. soccer, oh, not football. Okay. Yeah. If I get the, the points, score. You get points in okay. basketball. That's <laughs> Jay uses sports references like a lot. And like, I do not, I am not a sports person either. So I'm just like, yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> yeah, the goal. Right. But there's such tangible feedback you can get from so many other skills. And it's the most frustrating as an actor. And sometimes we just need the yes, no, mm-hmm. yes, no, yes no to really start subconsciously we just we know our skill just changes that the more we get feedback and it's such an important you can't just practice because you might be getting worse (laughs) you need to know simple clear well and the the binary data of yes and no and not like the gray area of like 
yes, but this, or no, but this. It's like a yes, no gives you guys something to truly take and move forward with, which is really interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. You just need enough of them. You need a bunch of them. Like you have right. to like, because mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. adjustments come in my, my take on how, I mean, this, the sports metaphor is per, there are so many in this because, you know, they've had studies that, so I'll use my sports metaphors, but like uh, that studies that <laughs> golfers, when they be more successful, their state of mind when they're hitting the ball, if they're thinking about, hey, I need to put more weight on my back right foot and I need to keep my left arm straight and really work with my follow through. And then they measure that against golfers who use visualization and imagination and picture the great perfect shot and then go up and hit, who do you think hits the great shot? By far, it's the visualization because you can't be thinking about keeping it, oh, which yeah. by the way, I'm a terrible golfer and I'm always thinking about keeping my left arm straight because I don't and I am and I never hit the ball well, so I don't practice what I preach, but, but that's where you should be in the audition room. Your mind should be freed from all mm-hmm. of the work that you've put in. And that's the only way it's going to be good. And that goes back to my, yes. you know, the anxiety I had or the desperation I had in the audition room. When I auditioned for Juilliard, I was in Nashville at the time and I had started a theater company. Well, it's not started. I was in the cast of a new theater company in Nashville. David Alpert, who was a Juilliard grad, had started and a great actor. And he encouraged me to go to conservatory and my first audition with Juilliard. And he wrote a letter of recommendation for me. And I went to Chicago to audition. And when I went in the room, I had been waiting all day, went in the room and the three people there, and I forget the name, it was the artistic director at the time. They got out of their seats and they were like, Jay, come on in, sit down, tell us how David's doing. And I never felt so much love in an audition room in my entire life. We sat there for like 10 minutes long. Everyone was in and out in two minutes, just talking about David and my life and everything. And then like at the end, they're like, hey, you want to go and do your, your monologues? Why don't you just get up there and do them? Like, you know, I mean, we know they're going to be great, but just go get, you know, let's get this part over with. <laughs> And that went back to this, like, oh my God, I'm going to get into Juilliard. <laughs> this will change my life at this moment. Oh, and I went up there and I did like a like classic, like yeah. sort of bad actor turn to get ready for my monologue. And then I just exploded on them with an energy <laughs> that was just that horrific. Turn. The looks on their faces. <laughs> I, and it was Shakespeare's first monologue. And I was, I, I was forgetting lines. I was like improvising. It was just, You're remembering no, the it look on their faces <laughs> when I finished was just like, they had like they had watched a car accident and they like they just couldn't speak and they just were like okay thank you and like the whole room changed and and i really like oh like God. if i had just had more experience that was my first time coming out to like a big audition in my life you know and uh you know i ended up yeah, like of course i even wrote a letter to them on the play home, plane home apologizing and like i really ch- changed out my monologues and i got into a program that was really really loved but like if i had had a place to continually get actual feedback cuz you can practice all you i practiced endlessly for that but there but having a little stakes involved matters it has does matter to get some trans something back to say hey you didn't get past this challenge or you didn't get anywhere with this you know and in committing to practice though there's a shift. The shift of thinking every job is going to change your life right. is no longer there because now you actually are thinking about, oh, I really want to make this 1% better, or I really want to work on this skill. For me, that has gone away, not always completely, but most of the time, because I am so, I get closure from 
an audition knowing I did my very best. And then I can put away being like, yeah, I really did everything I had for that one. And then I find myself not thinking about the call or not getting the call. It's only when you feel like you didn't put your whole self in it. And I think you can't be practiced in putting your whole self in it unless you practice that. If you literally take every challenge on castability, every practice tape for class as the real thing because you don't care about the real thing. You care about doing great art. And that's the shift that I think every young person, it takes time to get there. It does. I follow SAG Foundation. I'm, I'm friends with a lot of them over there and they have like a great Instagram feed and they interview actors a lot. And I can't even remember who said this, but they were like, I, I, in my head, I shifted from like just hating the audition process and hating auditioning to like embracing auditioning and treating auditioning like, oh, I get to play this part for this one moment in time. And so this is like an opportunity for me to be this part in this moment. And that's awesome. And even if I don't get it, that's not what it's about. It's about, I get to play this, this role in this moment right now for, you know, three minutes. And that's, that's awesome. And I think it was, I can't remember who it was, but it was a complete paradigm shift for, for that actor. And I I could tell in the response to the, the self tapes or, you know, the auditions that that was being responded to by the people that were watching that I, you know, made this choice to like be this, embrace this as an opportunity to play this part on this small stage that I've been given. Yeah, Yeah, it makes me, It's to me, that's even bigger. That's like a life lesson, not just a lesson in auditioning because, and I think, you know, as as you as a new mom, relatively new, and and it really changed for me with kids because I realized I didn't want life to be tomorrow. I wanted life to be right now, you know, because tomorrow my kid's a day older and they're like, you know, they're going off to the next level of school and like, that'll come. So you really want to like slow things down and enjoy every single moment. And when you're hyper type A competitive, like I was in my twenties and wanted my career to start, well, I was losing part of my life there. Like I was, you know, and so it's, I always say we're we're going out the same door, you know, like this is going to end for all of us. Like enjoy every moment. And I'm telling you, that makes you a better actor. Absolutely. The shift for me was doing it for others and or doing it for myself. For the first few years when I was out of grad school, I was having such my opinion, bad auditions because I, all the pressure was, I want to please them. And I, we've heard it a million times, but I do think our self-tape practice is where you can actually tangibly take it back and go, okay, how do I do this for myself? Oh, what do I want to get better at? What am I working on right now? And not only are you happy auditioning, having a real life, whether you get somewhere or not, career is only a career when you look at it in hindsight. Right. There's no, there's no such really thing as a, a career, certainly not for us. I, I don't know how it feels for you as a, Amanda, as a casting director. A hundred percent. That's super profound. A career is yeah. not a career unless we're looking at it. Yeah. Oh, I nice heard it. totally did not make that up. That it's like, I heard it like keeping around. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, 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 but no. Yeah, I stole it. But that's, that's extremely true. You know what I mean? And it's true across the board as well. And there's so many things that are true for actors that are true for other people in the industry that are true outside of the film and television industry, like that kind of just as human beings, you know, all of this stuff is kind of related and and, and so that's, I think that's what an interesting thing that we want to kind of talk about too in this podcast going forward is 
how is this for everybody, especially everybody in the industry, not just actors, but like, how can this benefit everyone? And how can like what we're talking about benefit people in their normal lives too? Yeah. I'm excited to hear from the casting perspective from these like minute decision-making, because another thing that really excites me about the data we're collecting is that it's the purest form of a casting director's decision-making, meaning casting directors are also artists and they're giving us this pure who they would cast out of these submissions instead of having to give the end you know end decision to a producer or director or who has to take into account a million other things who has the most instagram followers whatever you have to give up yeah i'll give a little bit of the algorithm away basically we provide the scene in the app for you for the actors out there and the scene is categorized by archetype or just type of you know type of act, uh, role and by genre and you get to choose any ones you want to do and you can record them in-app with an in-app reader or you can just record them with a friend and, and submit them, upload them. And then how we get to data from a qualitative impression, right? So a casting professional who's anonymous because we don't want, this is not about you getting exposure to this very experienced casting professional. This is about actually kind of grabbing their impressions. We're put, basically putting like, what are those things in your head? Electrodes or I don't know, and a, and a casting director's head and like measuring their decisions. Oh. <laughs> and we do it for them in a really quick way because that's how they operate in the casting room, right? They're, they have to work really fast. So we've mm-hmm. designed it to be that way. And so you submit your scene and you go into a batch with four other actors. We call them batches here and internally. And the casting professional is going to watch all five videos and then they rank, force ranked these scenes by four quality metrics, which is personality, believability, creativity, and specificity. And then they choose castability, which is the one that they would sort of see best fit for this scene if they were to like, you know, bring this to a producer. What's good about that is that that small little batch creates like a little tiny data point that has no real relevance yet. So if you've submitted to castability and you know, you get like a score back and, you know, the actors reach out to me and like, what's this? Like I was third when here. And it's like, well, you need to do it more than once because data's not actually helpful with just one data point. That's the whole thing we're talking about, right? Repetition, repetition. But if you get to 20 or 30, you really have impactful data to find out where you, if like, oh, gee, I'm scoring really high in believability, but I'm not getting castability in these scenes. And we can give you that data back and say, yeah, okay, but that's not important to this scene, to the casting professional. They really like specificity here. Uh, that's that's across the already 15,000 decisions we've measured. But that's in this genre, And in this archetype, that's the data here. But maybe you want to try another genre and archetype where that actually, where believability is really important and the data shows that. So it can kind of start to guide your career that way. And and then so if you do get chosen the most castable in that batch, you get moved on to the next round and the next round and you get scores on that. So you're actually going against the winners in the next round of all the first round batches. And all of that becomes all these tiny data points that build and become data we can give back to you. And that's where the whole kind of transparency thing is the foundation of. We want you to see where other people are landing. And then actually to to Taylor's credit, she really pushed this, like we have the winners in our winners gallery on app. So you can see who actually got the very, who ended up, you know, in this mock audition, because it's just a simulator, who was chosen for that round. And then you can see what they did and what worked. And maybe you don't agree with what it, right? But that's okay, because it's subjective. You're getting quantitative data on the process. But of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a subjective process always. But you need to know, like, you know, you want quantitative, you want the role. That's a quantitative decision, right? Yes or no is a quantitative measurable decision. Whether or not you were good or bad, 
that, that's up to anybody. And so really, it's not to be taken right. personal. If you're an aspiring actor and you're going into auditions, you're being judged all, you know, that's the that's actually what it is. Right? right. You're always being ranked. Ranked, right? And you still might be amazing. Let's back up and talk about early on, Jay, when we decided that what made the most sense here was to go with mm-hmm. the 12 personality archetypes and the genres, oh, yeah. as opposed to a role we're casting is really specific, right? Like they've written something really specific in regard to you know, potentially gender, ethnicity, and age, that sometimes obviously we look outside of those things and and present ideas that aren't necessarily what was on the page, and that's part of our job. But we decided in this particular situation that it made more sense to look at this holistically in regard to the 12 personality archetypes and the genre of tone that you were potentially auditioning for. So can you talk about that a little bit and, you know, why that made sense? Yeah, we debated this a lot. I mean, we we still debate it because really the goal here is to be as inclusive as possible to every type of person out there, where they live, their race, gender, sexual orientation. And, you know, we debated originally, well, like, well, then we'll have scenes very specific for all of those groups, but that becomes really challenging in, in ways that, we didn't even really see coming. And I think, I remember telling you guys, I don't know if you remember, but I was like, I want to run into the fire on this. I want us to figure out a way to be inclusive, even if we make mistakes along the way that may seem exclusive. And this was where we landed. And I think we've just tried to be as open and broad as possible. And we just, and in any way we can figure out to make sure the communities out there know about us. So that the the gallery that we build includes everybody. This is a process. Like we we may make some changes along the way. Who knows? And the truth is, is that every single human being has these in them, like the magician, the explorer, the sage, the creator, the ruler, the hero, the jester, the innocent, the every person, the caregiver, the rebel, and the lover. I'm looking at our website right now just to make sure I got all of them. But (laughs) wow, I memorized them. No. But the, the, what was exciting about like all these conversations that we continue to have about this is that mm-hmm. everybody has one of these personality archetypes within them. And once you un- have an understanding of which personality archetype you can move forward with, you can then go and assess material that's presented to you to audition for. And you can, with an understanding that, oh, this is a gesture character. Right. I know I'm good at this. I can do this. And I know how to mm-hmm. approach this. Mm-hmm. And so it's so in a way, this was so exciting to me because I had never really done script analysis or broken anything down in regard to this part of it. And I think that that's such an inclusive way to like make sure that everybody, like everybody can be considered for everything when you look at it, look at it like this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was really exciting for me. And then just so everyone who's listening can understand the secondary metric that we're breaking these scenes down in is genre. And that is on purpose so that you guys can start to learn and understand the tone of the different things that you will potentially be, hopefully be auditioning for in the future. So we give examples of real shows or films that you can point to when we're telling you what the genre is. So if it's a single cam comedy, we'll give you an example of a single cam comedy. So even if you don't understand what that technically means, you'll understand if you watch that show or you watch even five seconds of that show, what the tone of that show is. So when you go to do your scene and you understand that it's a single cam comedy and this was the reference for this scene, 
that that's the kind of energy you should be bringing to that scene because mm-hmm. the multicam energy is extremely different than like an hour drama, procedural drama, like a cop drama. And our casting director will be also Correct. reading what this scene is tonally inspired by and has that. We It's really exciting too for our writers because they are giving, they're doing like sample scripts every week. <laughs> We're giving them <laughs> like, hey, you just got a job on Euphoria, yeah. write a scene for that. And which is something that the writers will be doing. We have a lot of working writers and young writers in our writer's room. So that is exactly what they're working on too. I think it's really important to me that the actors feel like they're really practicing a muscle that they do in real editions. And it's important for the actors to understand that the casting professionals that are reviewing these batches are looking at it with the eye of, okay, I'm in this moment looking at this in consideration for a quote unquote multicam comedy. And if your energy's wrong for that, then you're not going to rank high. So maybe you did a great read, but you got the tone of the genre incorrect. And that is really important to understand because that has a lot to do with the data you're getting back. So if you're scoring low in those multicam comedy scenes, that means that there's something that you need to go take a class or look Look at the winning tapes. Look at the, what watch, are the winning tapes go to the gallery and watch the winning tapes. Is their energy way brighter and bigger and bolder and p- potentially a mm-hmm. little bit broader? Delivering those jokes. Yes, because a multicam mm-hmm. comedy is mm-hmm. truly like mm-hmm. a stage performance. It's really interesting. So do note that. I remember when we were doing Castaway Cancer with Jessica Sherman that yeah. a lot of the casting professionals that were volunteering their time for that event were emailing me saying, hey, like some of these actors are really good, but they're not hitting the genre that's listed. And I was like, I think you should take that into consideration yeah. because that's part of this. So it's replicating exactly, exactly. what you get when you So get that you guys are really prepared. Yeah. Those scenes were written by cancer survivors and your instinct is that it's very sad. But I remember one of the genres right. was <laughs> comedy. And, yeah. you know, one of the casting directors was like, hey, this is supposed to be a comedy, but some of these people are not playing it like a comedy. And so it's it's also a lesson for actors to really pay attention to the instruction that we give you. Jay, Amanda mentioned you had some interesting thoughts on, I would love to hear more about the casting side, the instincts yeah. of casting and tracking that. Yeah, I mean, when you think about casting directors and how they develop their skill and just kind of compare them to certain other you know careers out there people how they develop it's a it's an apprenticeship program right you start off as an associate usually and move your way up the reason that process exists is that the skill set is developed from repetition by seeing first hundreds then thousands and then tens of thousands of different auditions because casting directors jobs are to work efficiently for their producers or their clients uh, to find those roles fast and to get so and to do that you've got to go through a lot of actors in a very short period of time you have a tight time frame efficiency is such a ma- major issue so you have to develop a skill set in, in, in an instinctual level to be efficient about it. If you think about it, the way for art in general, right? If you were like an art critic, for example, would you try to tell, explain to them, here's, how, here's what makes a great piece of art. There's going to be passion behind the strokes and the colors will be vibrant. Now tell me, the first painting you've ever seen in your life, here it is, yeah, you could is it never. great? No, you have to look at thousands of paintings. You have to be exposed to the entire art world. And through that, when you see a painting that it's it's a feeling you have it's literally like oh that's beautiful same with music i mean we can all relate to that you don't hear a song and go gee listen to listen to the mm-hmm. tempo of that song and they've really nailed the the melody no you're like this is beautiful that's all you feel and 
that's how casting directors function. They've seen so much work that they can see right away. They have a feeling about it. And they've really triggered the right part of their brain to do that. The instinctual, we might call it instinct. It's really the supercomputer of your brain. Your intellectual side, our, all of our intellectual sides of our brain, our prefrontal cortex have developed only over like tens of thousands of years. And it's pretty much like an abacus compared to the rest of your brain which works at really high, sophisticated levels and can make really great decisions. There's so many great examples. They've done studies where people go to buy a home. There's multiple variables in a home, right? Like, you know, it's location to schools, what the neighborhood's like, how big is the laundry room? There's just this, it go hundreds of variables. So if you try to come into it with an intellectual attitude, like people come, of course, like have a checklist. I tell my friends who are looking for homes. I'm like, don't do a checklist. It doesn't work. Pros, cons list, don't do that. doesn't help because you're, you're triggering the wrong part of your brain. You're triggering the prefrontal cortex and that only manages about seven variables and it manages that pretty well. So if you had like seven options, like seven things that were important to you, be an intellectual, make, make a checklist. But the studies they've shown for people buying homes that people have gone in with checklists versus people that went and just left and had dinner and then came back to make the decision where they're not even thinking about it, your brain's still working. The, the more subconscious side of your brain is working during that dinner. And, you, and it works better when you sort of shut down the prefrontal cortex. So the studies have shown that people are way happier when they just take a, don't think about the choice of a house and go from their instinct. And anecdotally, my oh wife, Kate, walked into this our home and she knew within mm-hmm. a minute this was the house because we had looked at enough homes. She just instinctually felt it. Mm. And everyone, it was, <laughs> the house was in bad shape. So everyone else was in the looking around going, this thing is a dump. And she just knew right away. And, and so I kind of got that experience from there. And so if this is the case for casting directors, that that's the skill set they have, then we designed a system that measures the instinctual reactions that they have when they see the work of art or your submissions as an actor. We don't want to give them like, mm-hmm. here's the things that you should be looking for, because that, that wipes away their skill set you know, which is that they can immediately, they know it when they see it. It's interesting because sometimes an actor will score the highest score across the board, but oftentimes, you know, they're more believable than they are specific or they're in that particular scene. Using music as a reference and everyone has an opinion about music, that's very subjective. And, you know, but, but what isn't subjective is like, even if I don't like metal, I can listen to a song and understand why some people do. So we sometimes we are like, everyone's a casting director because like everyone can identify right. a really beautiful performance. Right. We all right. listen to thousands yes. of hours of music in our lives, but only casting right. directors have seen the thousands of hours of auditions or hundreds of thousands. I don't know what the number would be yeah. total. So it's like, sure, well, how cheap is your opinion if you've never actually seen auditions and made judgments and value right. judgments because Amanda has to go and show them to her client and say, here's the choices that I think you will like. And they can't, she doesn't have an option to waste their time. And that she's tested over time that they respond to. And what's really interesting is I feel like now I, I can look at a picture of someone and make a decision about whether or not I think they'll be right for the part. But then I also like to leave my options open in regard to like allowing them to surprise me. But when they open their mouth Mm. to like say their name, that's (laughs) when I really know if they're right or wrong. Stop. Yeah. Like it's, but but that, that I think comes with the practice, like, or with not the practice, but just like the watching and watching and watching, like, and you're, we're looking at vocal quality. Mm. We're looking at all of those different things, you know, in regard to like whether or not. But there's also specificity. 
in these first 10 seconds that you can watch in these winning tapes over time. And I think what also castability is providing for younger actors is this serving the story, because that's the number one priority for casting directors, because you can't cast you if you don't if you're, you don't get what's happening right. literally on the page. And then maybe after that becomes a little bit more subjective, but you can still track according to these archetypes. And at that point, then you go, okay, well, what do I, what type of character am I fitting in most often? Mm-hmm. And that takes years for actors to track as far as like, right. what do I book? What type of roles are this? And you can do it six months in Casability. In the last couple of minutes, is there anything you can tell us about the future of castability? I'd love to hear about where you see the app going and how it's going to be developing. Well, the big one is to get the data more real time. I thought that's a big challenge that we're building into it. We, right now, we, we have to give the curators the time to evaluate the scenes and they live busy lives as we've already kind of covered. So there's a little bit of time there, but then as soon as those are closed out, I would really like the data to be more advanced in the app so that the actors can cut them into all the different shapes of the data and analytics that they need. They may need training on it. So we try to provide that on our website so that people can understand what to look for in the data. So that's the like the short-term goal on the tech side. And we're really excited about that. We also want our gallery to be much more shareable. When you're successfully in, one, in our gallery for whatever genre archetype, we want to make sure that that's easily accessible in, in the way that, I wouldn't call it a database because that's not really how I see it, but it's really a gallery of vetted actors. And I much like a muse, you know, museum, but one that's live now where people are looking to be seen. We want that to be more accessible. Where you don't need a rep or to live in a certain place or know somebody, you can be found because of your merit, because you have accrued really great scenes. Yeah. No, what already exists is the fact that these actors can take this material and use it to their advantage in their lives by Mm -hmm. like sharing it with potential reps or casting professionals if they don't have anything else to share. Self-tape yeah, reels. To, for us mm-hmm. to be able to assess them to, to decide whether or not they're yeah. right for a part to bring them in for some for a real job. So that already exists and the gallery is going to support yeah. that, right? Yeah, I mean, we've got letters recently, one this last week from an actress that really used the app and her scenes to get representation. And it was like, wow, I think that's the dream come true for me, that, it's, that this can be more like a tool that makes advancing your career more efficient. And so one extra piece we're gonna, we do, but we're gonna continually, as we grow and are bigger as a company, we will be promote, I really see this as a marketing concept that we need to market our gallery to the world. And so we really feel like we're committed to the actors that are are part of our community to when they're doing great work that everybody knows about it. So advertising industry websites and, you know, building our castability list for managers and agents and producers and writers so that when people can come here, they know they're getting really top quality. And we just really want to shout at the rooftop about all the great talent we have. And they can filter. They can have their project and know they need an innocent in this Mm -hmm. drama. And they can filter it and find options all over the world. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you, Jay. Well, my my last thought is the best part of this is that, I mean, I had this idea with Jeremy Rabb. Shout out to you if you're listening, Jeremy. Similar to this, like eight years ago, it's evolved and there's so many people that have had their hands in shaping this. But the best part is in this last year with with you guys here kind of making it your own. It's just so fun for it to take on its life of its own and that it's not my idea in my head anymore, but it's a team of of passionate folks at Castability that are just care so much about its success and are just always, our meetings are so fun, brainstorming, how can we make this better? And how, you know, it's the, it's, 
just a wonderful experience. So thank you guys. And good luck on the podcast. I'm going to, I'll always be a listener. You got one listener for sure. Awesome. Yeah, we definitely have one listener for sure. <laughs> thank you, thank Jay. you so much. All right, guys. Have a great rest of your day. The Castability app was created by Jay Boyer. Castability, the podcast, is produced by Fast Forward Productions. And hosted by the Castability team. Thanks for listening. 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 listening.